0: Hello, my friend, and welcome to the 512th episode of the Sales Podcast. I'm Wes Shea for the Sales Whisperer, your host. Today, I am pleasantly surprised with this guest, Don Winner. Um, I am pitched at least five times a day, sometimes ten times a day, from PR agencies and, I don't know, wannabe PR agencies and uh, who knows what. Uh, you know, hey, great guests, you see these form letters, and it's just... You can see it a mile away, especially when you get, I don't know, 200 a month for years. Um, But I, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll reach out to people uh, as I run across them and um, people that seem intriguing to me. Uh, So Don came to me through an agency. Uh, I took a quick look and, you know, I liked what I saw and uh, scheduled him. and, oh my goodness, and look, I, when I'm screening these guests, I, I'm not, I don't spend hours screening them. Right. Uh, I look at their body of work. Uh, I look at their presence online. Uh, I look for any kind of negatives, you know, if there's something out there. Um, and then, you know, so if that, if that passes the sniff test, uh, and I've got an opening, um, you know, I'll have them on the show and, uh, Don's story is amazing. What he has built is amazing. And um, he's still young. Uh, he's got a family. Um, you're going to love his story. Um, you're going to be inspired by the methodical way he's gone about growing. Um, so you are in for a treat. Okay. Um, as usual, for the next um, seven, this one plus six more. Um, is that right? No, one, two, three, this one plus seven more. Uh, Vidyard is a sponsor. So please, um, listen to this short little, uh, advertisements and then, you know, give them a try vidyard.com slash whisper. Um, I'm, I've, I grew my business, uh, through SEO, you know, in the big, very beginning it was cold calling. Uh, but then it was organic. It was and one of the key things I did organically was create video. Um, I used YouTube to um, get the the juice, the the traffic from that big um, source, right? That big site, uh, and I would embed it on my website. And I still do that to a degree, um, but for the most part, when I have when I interview my guests, right, I I control the video. I will embed it on YouTube, but I also own the video I put it on my own host okay then I can share it as I want to Uh, and I've used video and email for many years I've had several guests on as well in that space Um, so take a listen Vidyard give them a a free try okay and um, and heck if nothing else to thank them for taking a risk on me uh, by sponsoring these 10 episodes Okay, so take a listen to this, and then we will get on with the show. Vidyard is an easy-to-use yet powerful video solution that makes it simple to create videos, host them ad-free, share them with others, and track their performance. Whether you're recording a video for one person or sharing it with the world on your website, it's easy to manage your video content. The Vidyard solution is built for business. It has robust analytics integrations with top enterprise tools like HubSpot, and customization options that answer your unique needs. Look, email isn't dead, but it sure can be boring. Use Vidyard to record and send sales videos to connect with prospects, convert opportunities, and close deals. You can put a face to your name with video. I do this. Uh, record your face, your screen, or both for prospecting videos, follow-ups, product demos, and more. Sign up for Vidyard free today by going to vidyard.com whisper. And just like all of you, the team at Vidyard can't keep up with all those promo codes on podcasts and blah, blah, blah. So they're making it easy to sign up. Okay, no promo code. Just go to vidyard.com slash whisper to start using Vidyard completely free. And as a bonus, get their high conversion virtual sales playbook. Vidyard.com slash whisper. And look, don't tell me you don't have any video or you don't want to do video. I don't want to hear it everything's zoom nowadays record your interviews re- re- record your consultations get the permission from your customers uh, to share it and you're off and running i have done that in my uh, sellmoreofeverything.com course um, i've got some clients that have allowed me given me permission to share our consults so that's some little bonuses you get as well okay so start doing your video and from this interview with don you'll know how to create processes to leverage it and grow. Here we go. On, winner, salesman, entrepreneur, author of Building an Elite Organization, a Blueprint to Scaling a High-Growth, High-Profit Business, currently in Asheville, North Carolina. Welcome to the Sales Podcast. Man, how the heck are you?
1: I'm doing awesome. Thank you, Wes, so much for having me here today.
0: So you're moving all around. Must be nice to have some options, huh? Build a little <laughs> business, make a little income, travel around, avoid the heat. It's good to be you, isn't it? It is good good to be me. Very, <laughs> very blessed. Very blessed for sure. So you are relatively young. I'm looking at your, your experience in real estate. You were, you were killing it uh, as an agent and then launched into your own business. Now you have multiple entities uh, what the heck's lighting your fire, man? Why don't you just like go in the basement, play some Fortnite, drink some monsters. I mean, why are you so ambitious?
1: <laughs> yeah. Relatively young is the, the key word there. I like that. Uh, but <laughs> she's just gray hair, uh, man. You're a yeah, light young. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, um, 36. Um, and, uh, yeah, started, started in, in, in real estate and in the world of sales in my, um, well, my late teens and, um, and started my career in uh, 20 in, in real estate. Um, but that, you know, that internal drive, right? I, I see you have seven kids. Uh, I only have, a, I only have a couple, um, but that's uh, the gray uh, hair,
0: have some more kids <laughs> gray.
1: You'll be gray. I, I agree. And, and, you know, I think if we all, if you and I both knew what the exact uh, answer to is, where does the drive come from? Right. We wouldn't be on the sales podcast. We'd be on the parenting podcast right now. Um, because uh, you know some of some of it is just you know, instilled I had this entrepreneurial kind of drive at a young age you know probably like yourself you know I grew up uh, low lower middle class I think is the nice uh, terminology for it and and you know she needed to work to have anything I wanted and um, and my dad told it at my wedding the story how he knew I was an entrepreneur in kindergarten when I started selling donuts to my classmates and um, that's kind of where, where it began for me I just had that kind of drive to um, uh, to kind of make things happen from a very young age, and and kind of self driver, and I, you know it's carried carried me through, especially in the early stages of my career.
0: Where'd you get the donuts? <laughs> I got the donuts from my parents.
1: So, a business where you have no cost of uh, of materials it's a it's a pretty profitable business. My parents would pack those little six pack of Hostess donuts into my my uh, lunch bag, and I started selling to my classmates for fifty cents a piece. And, uh, and the school found out after a few weeks and my, my donut supply dried up, but, uh, that was, uh, kind of my first take of, of making, making some money and carried all the way through my childhood. I ran literally, you know, lawn care businesses in middle school and hired my friends and, um, and, and, um, you know, just had that, had that desire from, from a pretty young
0: age. A little Tom Sawyer, huh? Get kids to (laughs) pay you to do your chores. Uh, my parents did not pay me to do my chores. So those, those oh, weren't, no, you, as get as your bu- you get oh, your, get pay, pay my pay. buddies to do, them.
1: Uh, yeah. I never, never went that far. I don't know if my parents would, would have allowed that. <laughs>
0: Come on, man. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, so you got into real estate. Uh, so if I do some math, so 2008 was 13 years ago. So you would have been early twenties. So you were already, um, doing well in real estate when the Great Recession hit. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it is correct. So I, I, got, I got started a really quick kind of story there. In, in, in 2005, I was i was going to Drexel University as a college student studying finance. I thought from eighth grade on, I was going to be a financial advisor because I, I knew I was good at math and a financial advisor came in in a career day in eighth grade and said, hey, look, as a financial advisor, you get to be your own boss you know, you're, you're, you're in charge, showed us a chart that financial advisors made more money than doctors, lawyers, accountants, et cetera. So that's what I'm going to do. And I went to school. That was, I was determined to do, but I'd wait tables on the weekends to support my way through high school. I moved out of my home in high school, my parents' home and, and through college. And this guy convinced me to come work for him. His name was Nathan Robinson. And Nathan was in the ADT security business. Um, and, uh, so he hired me. I didn't really know what the job was other than he told me I'd make $2,000 a week if I came to work for him. And, uh, so I did, uh, 19 and and my job was, you know, door to door sales.
0: (laughs) My dogs do the same thing. (laughs) Um,
1: so my, my job was door to door sales. Um, and, uh, my first paycheck was $5,280. And Sorry. It's all good. Hang on one second, girls, come on. Five thousand two hundred. So we're, we're in a condo right now. In between, we just got in here today. Um, in between my Asheville houses right now. So, anyway, apologize. The dogs are in the room next to me.
0: Hey, it's fine. So, so was that a two-week paycheck or four-week paycheck or what? Um, so yeah, I made fifty-two hundred eight dollars for my first
1: two weeks, um, and that was one of my worst paychecks. And the gentleman Nathan selling
0: alarm systems.
1: Yep. Door to door. So mainly going to new homeowners who just bought a home and and knocking on their door and offering to sell them a home and learned all the kind of old school door to door sales tactics and, and tricks kind of just by knocking on a lot of doors. It was every 51 doors I knocked on, I made a sale. So I just knocked on a heck of a lot of doors. And um, and uh, that gentleman who owned the company later, I found out he had never had anybody make a thousand dollars a week let alone $2,000 a week. But I think because he gave me that that expectation and that, that was what was normal. That was what was expected. Um, I went out there with that mindset and um, and that gentleman happened to also be a real estate agent. So this is 2005, 2006, real estate market's on fire. Um, convinced me that if I could sell alarm systems knocking on doors, I do great in real estate. So literally I didn't sleep for a couple of weeks, took my classes online, uh, got my real estate license and I flew out to a marketing sales conference um, literally the day after I got my real estate license, and I learned uh, the power of un- having a unique selling proposition. And what,
0: uh, what was the conference?
1: Uh, it was actually a uh, Dan Kennedy uh, yep. uh, conference. <laughs> so, so my marketing prop- proposition, my you know unique selling proposition was your home sold guaranteed, or I'll buy it, and. The month I got my real estate license was October 2006, which happened to be the peak of the real estate market. Um, that's when property values hit their top and the market started slowing down. So, uh, the guarantee to sell people's homes when the market's slowing down was a good time for that message. And I put out that message anywhere and everywhere—from traditional, still the time when newspapers still you know were a thing, and you know doing bandit kind of style ads and newspapers to Craigslist was just coming out to digital marketing was just coming out to radio and television um, we're, we're, and still in my opinion, are a thing. And, um, we do still use today and just putting that message everywhere and, and things took off, you know, really, really fast and, and grew that, as you said, through the, through the downturn, which came a couple of years later.
0: So how many homes did you have to buy?
1: Um, so it's interesting. So the, so the, that was the initial, you know, marketing message. It was actually your home sold in 60 days guaranteed. I'll buy it. And, and it was about, you know, shifting and taking away the risk um, for people to fear, um, that came in a, in a challenging market and, you know, frankly, very seldom did I have to step in and, and buy their home there, but um I started having some people who couldn't wait sixty eight days or didn't want to wait, and they had more of a distressful situation, so we developed soon after our immediate buyout program, where we'll just buy your home cash, as is no contingencies, and so we'd offer both options. Hey, we'll guarantee to sell your home through the market, get you the most for your home, or we'll just step in and buy it and that led to us becoming a home flipper and buying homes. so you know, through the downturns, basically we, 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 we met with motivated home sellers. I wasn't out buying, you know, most of the product I bought wasn't from, you know, banks or, or foreclosures. I was meeting, you know, sellers who were in a state of, of need to, to sell in a kind of recessionary environment and offering them solutions. And so the, the the not being able to sell their home happened maybe 20 times over, over you know, dozen plus years of doing this. Um, but we bought, you know, thousands of homes um, uh, by choice, by providing this, you know, cash offer to buy their home. Um, and that's really how we built, what became our investment business that we run to the, today. So were you flipping them or were you, um, yeah, flipping them out? Yeah. So in the beginning, it was, you know, we'd step in, come meet with somebody, do a full valuation of what their home was worth and provide them with this range of options. And then if we bought the home, I looked at it from a, you know, kind of a simple standpoint is, look, property values are going down. In 2008, 2009, 2010, there was no doubt property values were going down. Uh, So I wasn't going to own that property long term. It was to to, model out the fact that, hey, it's going to probably be worth less. The the repaired value of that home is going to be less in six months than the repaired value of that home today. And I'd step in and model that accordingly, and I turn it around, sell it to a to a generally first time home buyer. So everything was was buy, improve, sell uh, until the market hit its bottom. The well, market hit its bottom around 2011 ish when we said, all right, now it's time to build a portfolio. Now it's the time to start buying as much as we can, and now you want to hold because property values are going up. Um, and that's really when we started, you know, growing uh, much of what is DLP today and and much of our you know investment uh, platform today.
0: How did you protect yourself though i mean if if markets if they are going down, you know you've got this depreciating asset yeah um you know did you have buyers lined up uh or i mean just um like out here i I rented in California for six years and waiting for the bottom, and then I bought at the bottom uh people are like, you're crazy, I mean." We were renting just a tract home. It was huge, like 40, like, I don't know, 4,700 square feet. But It was just a tract home. No HOA. You know, we moved into it December of 04 and people were like, oh, this thing gets doubled in value in three years. This is, it was 350. Now it's $700,000. I'm like, well, this house ain't worth $700,000. I remember <laughs> standing there in the cul-de-sac with my wife. I said, okay, look around. If this trend continues, then in three more years, you know, the beginning of 08, this house will be worth $1.4 million. It's going to double again in three years. I'm like, no way. So somewhere between right now and three years, this thing is, is capped out. And and our neighbors, there were two models, our exact models in the cul-de-sac, and they were nicer. They were at the end, bigger yards, they had pools and upgrades, but they sold for $850,000 in, uh, like early 07, late, late 06, somewhere in there. And the house we were renting got foreclosed and I wanted to buy it. I, I didn't particularly want to own it, but I knew it was a value. It it sold for $258,000 at foreclosure. So freaking crazy, right? So, you know, when you got this falling knife like that, how do you, how do you buy a 350 dollars 1.4 850,000 258 how how would you step in and buy that i'd be afraid to jump in and try to flip that thing it was it was so but we were literally at the epicenter of this fraud right yeah. right where we are in riverside county it was i mean nurses were owning five homes interest only i mean it was really bad yeah. So maybe it was maybe it was too crazy out here. I don't know. But
1: I yeah, it's it's a great it's a great topic. You know, and we we did it initially was in Pennsylvania. So I grew up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania is where I started the company our north of Philadelphia we were doing this throughout that region. And then in around 2012, we also did expand into Tampa, Florida, which at the time was arguably the worst market in, in the country. But um, so uh, where we were in uh, Pennsylvania didn't have the kind of a decline that you experienced—you know, property values from their peak to their bottom went down by about 25%. Um, but uh, what we were focused on doing is we weren't buying $700,000 homes. To your point, uh, and trying to flip them, we were buying $100,000 homes, $70,000 homes, $130,000 homes. Um, where not only a that that market has always been strong in, in all cycles comparatively, um, and today's cycle, today's market probably better than than ever in that you always have the alternative of renting it as well. And being able to generate positive cash flow, so that was a important point. And we always realized if we got stuck and we couldn't sell this home, we could always rent it and cash flow. Um, so that was a, a, a per se a safety net. But the big thing is we had to really know the market, and um, so we invested heavily in the markets we knew where we we're confident uh, in what the value would be, and we'd have to budget for a decline. Right? I didn't assume that. Hey, in six months when I'm done renovating this home, it's going to be worth what it is today. I'm going to model depending on the home, the market. Uh, the price range, et cetera, that is going to have declined by five or 10%. So I got to buy it at a price that I can factor in for a decline in, in, in values uh, because we were going through this environment where you property values were going down, you know, call it 1% a month. So, um, so that's how we would, how we model it. And, but we weren't buying, you know, 700, 800, $50,000 homes expecting we could flip them because that market was, you know, very soft and, and and challenging to your, uh, to your point. So, um, and then that's really what led to the beginning of our investment portfolio of, of building a rental portfolio is understanding the great value of owning these types of assets and producing reoccurring cash flow um versus just selling them for you know ordinary income and 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 flipping them nice
0: all right, man. so has the market
1: peaked? has it peaked now it's 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 incredibly interesting, and this is a you know conversation i know many many are having you know with the incredible uh inflation of of uh, building supplies and labor shortage and, and so forth. Um, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, the, the compression and investment values of say multifamily, which is core to us, um, you know, property values have gone up 20-ish percent in the past year. Uh, many parts of the country, the same thing as in the in the home, uh, home you know, for sale home market, property values, home values have gone up 15, 20, 25, 30%. Uh, but what, what is very different about the last cycle that we were just talking about is in that cycle, we had this, A, this oversupply of housing. Today, we are facing the greatest undersupply of housing. Um, In addition, banking in general has remained much more disciplined um, than it was back then. So there aren't nurses who own five homes, to to your point. Um, um, There's a lot more equity in in the market. And um, so just the fundamentals of supply and demand are just so constrained. Um, I really think the biggest variable that could that could lead to, to decline in, in values is if interest rates were to go through some major uh, spike. Uh, nobody's expecting to see that coming. Um, that the Fed would make those decisions, but if some reason they do and we see pro- interest rates go up, that'll certainly slow the cre- incredible growth in prices. Um, don't know if it'll lead to, to any decline, but I think it'll it'll dramatically slow property values uh, climbing. And then if whenever building supplies uh, come down and, and level back out and it's the cost of building aren't so high, you know, that'll make a, make a big impact as well. But it's interesting times. I think if we were sitting here in two years from now and having this conversation again, I think there's a a greater probability in two years, we're saying, Hey, can you believe two years ago, we could have bought something at this price and surprised at how much it's gone up in the next two years versus the other way around that we're looking back in two years saying, Hey, remember when, you know, when the home down the street was selling for 700 grand and now it's, it's selling for less. I think that's a less likely conversation. Um, but we're, we're certainly planning on our end for volatility and risk, just like we were doing two years ago at this time, not knowing it, that would it would be COVID. Uh, but we knew the market was really hot at that point and something had, something would come and, and preparing accordingly. And that's, no know, big part of what we're doing in our organization today, preparing for some form of volatility um, that's going to come in the near future.
0: I don't know, man. I look at this like our home. Two years ago, it was probably five hundred thousand dollars. Now it's seven hundred thousand dollars and people are paying one hundred thousand cash on top of that. So eight hundred thousand dollars. I I don't I don't understand it. I don't know who has that kind of cash just sitting around. Why are they so desperate to buy something? I don't things, you know, my dad always says, if, if things don't make sense, there's something you don't know.
1: I like that. Or, I like right? that. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, the government's uh, infused a lot of cash into the market right. um, yep. and, uh, and it's doing what it's supposed to do. Right. The, the goal was to put the cash in the market to stimulate the economy and it is certainly uh, certainly doing that in, in many many regards. So um, it is interesting for sure. It is it is hard to understand where to your point how people are coming up with the cash uh, because it's not hundred percent financing to the level it was you know back in the last cycle. So where are all these buyers coming from? Where is all this cash coming from? Um, is um, is is hard to hard to understand in a lot of markets for sure. And I've talked to you know some of the the, the smartest and most well known economists at you know big organizations like Goldman Sachs just last week, and they can 't explain that piece to the puzzle they can 't explain where all this cash is coming from how so many people can afford to own right now with where home prices are um, the The payment side makes sense with today 's low interest rates there's a, you can look and say you know the, the average monthly payment today is in some cases less than it would have been two years ago or four years ago or five years ago d- despite the incredible growth in in values because rates are so low, but still, where did you come up with the deposit? How how are people coming up with so much cash and qualifying from an income standpoint, a debt service ratio? It's, uh, it's interesting for sure.
0: So how'd you build this elite organization?
1: Well, you know, for me, um, as mentioned earlier, I got into real estate, um, in October, 2006. And what I learned quickly as a salesperson is, uh, my time was best served doing the things that most salespeople know their time is best served doing, which was being in front of people or being on the phone to get in front of people. And I realized that those were the things that I had to be spending my time doing. And very quickly realized um, that if I was doing those things, well, um, I didn't have much time to do anything else. Um, So literally about a month into the business, um, I hired my first assistant and I, um, and I hired her part-time by the end of that first week, she was working more than full-time. A couple of weeks later, I hired another full-time assistant uh, and two months after that, the third. so I had three full-time assistants supporting me as a single salesperson within three months of being in, in real estate. Two out of those three are still with me to this day um, and uh, and started you know delegating. I wasn't the best leader at the time, didn't have the best leadership methods. There was a lot of you know dump everything on on to to to, to the great ladies and they'd handle it um, but free myself out to be on appointments um, to be on the phone. And uh, and as I did that, you know, things started taking off quick. to got to the point I couldn't handle all the sales appointments. I couldn't handle all the all the leads, and and so I started then bringing in junior salespeople, and and I was doing all the inside sales activity and setting them appointments um, with with lower uh, value uh, opportunities, and and then that quickly you know took off, and and now all of a sudden I was in you know a position of running an organization and and having you know to lead a team and and develop process and structure. And how do I take myself out of being on appointments and, and automating that and really building out a, a sales process and putting video into place to, to make sure everybody's delivering the same presentation and a lot of training on scripting and, and so forth. You had to start, you know, really running things more, more like a business. And as I was trying to figure out how to, how to do all these things, you know, I'm always been an avid you know learner and reader and, and, and obviously, you know, probably all your listeners here listening to a podcast like this are the same and, and curious and wanting to learn. And, um, so I'm reading a lot of books and 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 studying and, and finding out how to be a better leader and how to improve as a marketer and as a salesperson and as a manager and all these things. And um, and uh and, and it was helping. And then all of a sudden, you know, about 10 years ago, uh, you know, we were about a 25, 30-person company at the time. And uh I read a book called Traction at the time, um, uh, which was on a system called EOS. And, um, and I was like, "Wow, this is, is great! Finally, somebody who kind of put all these ideas kind of together um, into an organized system that could that could be kind of plugged and played in, into into an organization." So we kind of went implemented EOS into our organization um, It's an entrepreneurial organizational system, and it helped put structure around things like running meetings and prioritizing, prioritizing, and setting vision to your organization, et cetera. And that was a big, uh, a big, uh, a moment for us, and that helped continue to accelerate you know, our our growth and uh have never been you know afraid to hire, never been afraid to uh continue um, to invest into the organization. And um we've now, you know, it's kind of we look back now, you know, we're 15 years in, we've grown uh 60% or more annually um every year, uh but last year where we grew forty-eight percent by choice due to you know some of the volatility of COVID, um grown three to five hundred percent every three year period, any three years you pick in the last 15 years, and we've really put this discipline of of growth into our organization. And after a little bit of time of running uh, EOS, we realized we weren't really running EOS anymore because it was only, it was only a piece to the puzzle. And we ended up taking ideas from the greats like Jim Collins or Vern Harnish or John Maxwell or, 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 um, you know, many other great, you know, thought leaders and implementing them and then building a lot of tools and so forth to actually be able to run and, and put structure around something growing so quickly. And as so we were spanning the new business lines and so forth. And so a few years ago, we realized, you know, we had built kind of our own operating system. And we've taken the last number of years to refine that, which we call the elite execution system. And uh, that's what I just wrote a book on and and called building an elite organization. But that operating system is not only what What we run all of our businesses on, it's actually what we teach to the real estate operators and developers and builders and so forth that we invest in. Um, Because at our core business today, we're an investment company and we actually lend money and invest equity with other businesses, mainly real estate operators. So it became really critical for us that they were running businesses that were disciplined and, and well run so that we can mitigate our risk of investing capital with them. Um, and that's really been kind of the secret to our our kind of continued success and growth has been uh putting this disciplined system in place in our organization and in the uh, in the businesses that we invest in um, and it's led to, to really consistent uh repeatable uh, results uh, over these last uh you know many years
0: very cool how so you you're brand new in sales. How did you afford that first assistant? Did you just take a risk? You just knew you would figure it out? Yeah,
1: great question. So in the beginning, you know, what I did is, and this is, I think, something that, you know, a lot of people uh, have done and and should do, you know, I started in real estate um, until I started having real estate sales. And for me, you know, people can look at it and say I was an overnight success because, you know, by the end of my first year in real estate sales, I was the top real estate agent in my office of 150. And within a few months later, I was the top salesperson in my market of 2,200. Um, and so it looks like, you know, that they're just like I must have just had immediate success, but it took me five months to get have my first sale. Um, I didn't have a closing to five months into the business. Um, so I didn't make a dollar my first five months um, and was spending money, to your point. Um, so what I continued to do is I continued to sell alarm systems through the first uh, many months until I had enough revenue coming in to, to stop. Um, and I mean, literally in my beginning days, as as crazy as or silly as it might sound, I would literally go knock on doors to sell alarm systems. And the most common reason people would tell me that they didn't want to buy an alarm system is, Oh, we don't need one. We're selling the house. And then I'd flip on my realtor hat and I'd say, well, I can help you with that. And I can actually guarantee your house to sell. Right. So imagine hiring the guy trying to sell you an alarm system, knocking on your door to then sell your house. Um, but I was like, you know, i i I just need to get in front of people. Um, and any, which way I, I can do that, if I get in front of people, good things will happen. Um, so I, you know, I literally did the things that I know it's harder to do today, but, of you know, picking up the phone book and calling people. Right. Um, and, uh, it didn't really matter. I mean, I, I, you know, just, just get, get on the phone with people, um, get in front of people and good things will happen. Um, so, you know, I was fortunate. I had saved up a little bit of money from selling a lot of alarm systems and I continue to do so a bit to be able to, uh, start. And then, but the great thing is, you know, it took a while to get going five months in to have my first sale. And that second month uh, or six months, technically second month of actual sales, you know, I had five and the next month it was 15. And by the end of, you know, the end of that first year, I had 67 sales, made 250 grand. Um, and it was off and running and, uh, you know, doubled the next year and, and so forth. But, um, but you know, you have to, you have to be able to, uh, find a way to, to invest and doesn't mean in money. You know, I could have got people to work at no cost and given them a, a split of the commissions. There's a lot of ways you can do it to kind of bootstrap it in the beginning and, and, uh, and do the hard work that again, I think most people make excuses to why they don't do it. Um, why most salespeople who know that, you know, getting in front of clients and prospecting are the most valuable activities, but find every excuse under the sun, not to do it um, uh, is uh, you know, it's easy to come up with reasons why you can't, um, and, uh, hard, harder to do the work that's necessary.
0: How many of those people went with you, right? So as you, you knock on their door for ADT, but you're like, Hey, I'm also a realtor. Cause I, I see all the time. I see people online, you know, Hey, I'm a CBD, you know, salesman <laughs> and realtor. I'm a massage therapist and realtor. I mean, it's like, come on people, you know, uh, I would be quite hesitant to entrust my home sale to an alarm salesman, yeah. you know, but, uh, yeah,
1: that's, that's a mental, you know, that's, that's an easy excuse, right? It was, it's an easy excuse for me to say, Hey, that's why I'm not going to talk about that. I sell real estate because people already have discounted me because I showed up there to sell them an alarm system. Right. Um, you know, I, I was 20 years old. I mean, I, uh, you, you mentioned I'm relatively young now. At the time I was really young, and I, you know, looked probably like I was 16. I mean, um, and so you know, not only am I knocking on doors, I look like I'm 16 years old, um, and not much older than that, right? It's it's easy to to discount. So you know, what I would do is, you know, generally, and this is what I would do to help grow my security sales as well, as I would uh, take young salespeople out with me, um, and they'd come door knocking. It was the only way because I, I kind of skipped over the story. You know, in addition to selling alarm systems, I built a sales team and and started teaching other salespeople how to, how to sell alarm systems. And the best way to, to get them to sell alarm systems was to take them with me out knocking on doors. And so I would, you know, take four or five people out with me and then it made it a little bit easier to position myself as, Hey, I'm just out here helping these young sales guys who work in my sales organization. Um, but my main business is, is real estate, you know, I, saying that, you know, I might not have even sold a house yet, but you know, I was positioning myself to that was my main business. This was just a sales team that I run. And kind of elevating myself, at least in my mind, um, and how I was positioning myself, why I was out there um, knocking on doors, and, um, and and being confident more than anything, right? Being being confident um, in in myself, being confident I could bring value to this person, um, and not ha- getting myself hung up on and worrying about somebody, you know, somebody discounting me over that, and then having having a strong a strong selling proposition, right? When I got in the door, I didn't sound like their friend, the realtor. I didn't sit, just come in there and say yeah, you know, please list your home with me because I'll do it for 5% commission. And, you know, uh, um, I came in there with a strong value proposition, um, strong, you know, print, printed literature that I could hand them to look professional. Of course, nice card. I dress professional. Um, and, uh, and I was there with a, a real presentation that back in 2006, people didn't have, you know, a real PowerPoint and a computer in my hand and in, in an organized method of showing what value I could bring how it's going to market their home better, how I would guarantee the sale, how I could guarantee their sale. Um, and it was such a differentiated uh, offering, um, that it would, it wasn't even uh, competing against any, anybody else. If I could just get, get the opportunity, just get the at bat.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I like the idea you know, changing that up and, you know, you're there to introduce a team and, um, it, they see you in a different light. Um, and because I tell people all the time, like, I hate selling, you know, I, I want to anticipate the objection and cut it off, you know, yeah. address it before it even comes up. So I just become the easy and obvious choice, you know, so you're going to put forth effort either before or after the sale, you know, so before or during. Right. So I'd rather put it in before and just ease into the sale. Um, Agree. Yeah, we spent tons of time
1: on that, and and you know, learning the old school method of knocking on doors is a great way to kind of cut your teeth there. And and but yeah, I, I, same thing. I hated that the, the finish selling. You want to make it such a logical decision has always been my approach that um, it's it's a no brainer to make. And and so there's simple you know tactics to to do that that have been proven again and again. It starts with generally genuinely being confident that you're going to bring value to this person. Um, taking general interest in listening, you know, it's, it's been years and years training. We run multiple different sales teams now today across organization and understanding, right. The great saying we have two ears and one mouth and, um, and listening as the the main way to sell, um, really understanding what their, their challenges, what their, their goals, what their motivations are. Um, and, uh, and then providing a, a value proposition that anticipates those, uh, concerns and issues Uh, before they can raise them um, is is the exact approach we've, we've taken. Um, And and I think many, many uh, really great salespeople have have as well.
0: So funny. I had dogs running around with their chain. We're we're house sitting or or puppy sitting. And this is the coolest dog. He's a little Tijuana rescue (laughs) and he's the biggest snuggler, but dude, literally this morning I'm laying in bed, about to get up, and this dog just climbs right up and licks me right in the mouth. And I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, I guess it's time to get up." <laughs> I'm like, what in the heck? Oh man! But I digress. Uh, so, so the things you've learned um, in your new system is it is it applicable to any type of business? Um, is it is it suited for ideally for real estate? Like, how does that work?
1: Yeah, definitely for any business that's already uh, generated a certain amount of success, meaning they they have a product or an offering or a service that the market's already deemed, you know, valuable, uh, meaning they've already, you know, they're already having some success. They've already running a million dollar, two million dollar, five million dollar business, um, but now looking to scale. And, and I think the the challenge many face it's it's not hard it's not easy um, to, to scale a business and it's, it's it's much harder to scale a business that's profitable uh, at the same time and and you know you go out there and you say hey I want to get better at sales right or I want to get better at marketing you, know, you can go read 50 books about the power of content marketing right and if you could put all the energy in the world around generating great content um but if that if you don't have a of course people who are listening to your content, it brings you no value but if even if you could generate tons of people who want your service, but you operationally can't handle them you can't you know handle calling them all back, you can't appropriately service them. you can't provide your product to, to all of those people um uh you know it doesn't do you any good right? You go out there and read a book tells you the key to 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 growing a great business is all about leadership, and you can become the great greatest leader, but if you don't have clients to to sell to or Products that the market wants, or you know, ability to execute on them again. You can be the greatest leader in the world, um, and you're not going to run a, a great profitable business, especially over long periods of time. So, the way we think about it is, every organization has uh, four quadrants, which are strategy, people, operations, and acceleration. And acceleration is sales and marketing, you know, integrated, um, which is you know really critical. I think in today's uh, today's organizations and And you need all of those quadrants working together, part of one plan um, that are growing at the same pace. You need operations to keep up with the pace of your sales and marketing growth, and you need the people in place to to be able to keep up. Um, You need each one to to be part of a a plan that's working together in order to grow consistently year over year uh, and to do so uh, profitably. And a lot of the big success stories we hear, certainly in real estate, but all industries are these great you know, organizations, largely tech companies that are growing by 5,000% a year. Um, but they're growing off, you know, venture capital and they're growing and, and they're losing money. Um, and they got a business model that works. If they if they succeed and they get the right market share and get acquired, it, it works. And man, there's been a number of companies who've hit home runs there. And I, I give them lots and lots of uh, credit for, for accomplishing that. But for most of us, you know, we need to be able to grow a business that can generate enough cash um enough cash flow to continue to sustain itself and allow our allow us to grow and that's much harder to do um in a lot of ways um and certainly much harder to do it over and over again year over year and you know we've been on the inc 5000 list now nine straight years and um so making the list of course is a good accomplishment It measures your growth over the last three years and um but what i'm most proud of is that we've done it nine straight years last year we were the fourth fastest growing company in america that had made the inc 5000 list five or more times ever so, reason for that is because so few companies can maintain the pace of growing year over year over year, um, because it's it's hard to to grow all all the sides of the organization, you know, together consistently. Where you don't have to then you grow a lot of sales and then you couldn't handle it operationally. And now you have to recalibrate and slow down, and you know where you can continue that that pace regardless of. Of the market conditions, regardless of we're in the middle of COVID or, or property values are going up twenty percent a year or they're declining, be able to continue that pace of growth and adjust to the volatility and change around you um, is 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 a, is a hard thing to do. It's something that requires a lot of discipline, and that's what our our system at the core is: disciplined thought, disciplined action, and disciplined people. Having discipline run through your organization, which is often the opposite of what entrepreneurial people think that they want is discipline that's often the opposite of why they they started their own businesses um because they wanted to, to to have structure and discipline but through structure and organization how you run your meetings how you hire how you develop your talent how you choose what's most important how you communicate that's actually what frees you up to, to innovate to, to develop new ways of doing things um and to really drive your organization forward
0: you're saying discipline equals freedom is that what you're saying it it sure does. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've heard that somewhere before. <laughs> Very cool. So uh so your book is out. Uh we're linking to that. Uh I've got a couple of links to your your other website. So I mean people that are listening, uh, where do you want to send them? Where should they go first?
1: Yeah. If you're interested in in the book and also a lot of free resources and content, you can go to dlpelite.com, dlpelite.com. Get access to the book, a lot of free resources and tools as well. Um, Book will provide a lot of, a lot of value. It's not theoretical. It's a blueprint. It's a very uh, tactical, um, uh, uh, you know, full system to go about implementing and putting in place into your business and, and, and uh, growing, growing your organizations. One of those types of books where you're going to, want to, um, you know, uh, be taking notes and highlighting and, and it's very, you know, referencing back again. Um, and, uh, uh no doubt, even if you just listen to it on audible, which I'm, I, I do lots of, you'll, you'll have some, some nuggets and some, some takeaways, um, for sure. But it, it really is meant to help take organizations from a million five million ten million 10 million to wherever you want to be 50 million, hundred million, 500 million, um, and we've done in, in a number of our businesses and we've helped many organizations grow through that kind of growth, similar to ours, 300, 400, 500% kind of three-year growth, uh, year over year and be able to pick up that pace of growth over, over time. And then if you just want more information about the things that we do at DLP across our 12 business lines and, or just, you know, get more insight on us and, um, and use us in any way as a, as a research and development department, as a lot of our operators, we help, they use it as their, you know, their R and D department, you know, rip off and duplicate, uh, you're welcome to go to uh, dlpcapital.com and um, take a look, and you'll see if you read the book. You know a lot of what we talk about in action, um, from how we go about hiring people and um, make you know presenting ourselves to potential employees and creating great, attractive job ads and and so forth, and um, great things about our our system. And, and the book is there's nothing in there that's theoretical. It's, it's exactly what we do right here, right now, and the um, and are helping many other organizations do as well.
0: Very nice. Well, you know, I was going to get it, but you, you didn't say I could grow to a trillion dollars. So I'm, I'm looking <laughs> for the trillion dollar plan. I mean, you mentioned $500 million. Um, Why so limiting, man? What's, what's going on? <laughs> well,
1: we, we, we teach what we've been able to do so far. So we're at a few hundred million a year today. Um, so we know we can get you there. Um, and as we continue our growth, we'll continue to develop and uh, continue to, to take our game, uh, up to the next level and, and roll those, those learnings and research
0: out to those who, uh,
1: who are on the journey with us.
0: Sounds good. All right, Don, take care of those dogs. Enjoy the mountains, the cool breeze of Asheville. And, um, thanks for coming on the show, man. It's been great. Thanks Wes. Really appreciate it. All right, dude. Have a great day. Told you it was good. I loved his grit, his story, his perseverance. If I get it, if I get in front of people, good things will happen. Happen. <laughs> Can't speak. Learn about USPs, unique selling propositions. Uh, Dan Kennedy. Dan Kennedy's the reason I'm where I am today. Um, I love how he has pivoted. Uh, if you want to learn more about the Traction book, uh, I reviewed it on episode 298. So it's quite a ways back. Uh, good book. Uh, good. Uh, things you can apply to your business, but you know, go get, you know, if you get that one, make sure you get Don's as well. Building an elite organization, the blueprint to scaling a high growth, high pro high profit business. Um, he has, he has dialed it in. So, uh, that's my goal. Bring you good people, good insight, actionable tips. Okay. I don't want you just listening. I want you applying. Um, if you struggle with that, if you need some accountability, if you need, uh, some give and take, join our group, sellmoreofeverything.com. Uh, there's videos in there. There's, there's spreadsheets, there's templates, there's a workbook, but I think the most valuable thing is the live weekly calls, uh, along with the group. You can ask questions at any time, uh, get answers from others. But you get answers from me to help you overcome your own uh, adversity, obstacles, and, um, achieve your goals. Okay, OK, sellmoreofeverything.com. Head on over there now. Thanks for listening. I'll go sell something. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.